0: Please turn in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles chapter 22. This comes immediately after the uh, incident in chapter 21, which is where we ended 2 Samuel with uh, the, um, the plague, the purchasing of the field from uh, the Jebusite. 1 Chronicles chapter 22, Then David said, This is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of burnt offering for Israel. So David commanded to gather the aliens who were in the land of Israel, and he appointed masons to cut hewn stones to build the house of God. And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails of the doors of the gates and for the joints and bronze in abundance beyond measure. And cedar trees in abundance, for the Sidonians and those from Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. Now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous and glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparation for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name, because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. And I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon for I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, my son, may the Lord be with you, and may you prosper, and build the house of the Lord your God, as he has said to you. Only may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding, and give you charge concerning Israel, that you may keep the law of the Lord your God, Then you will prosper if you take care to fulfill the statutes and judgments which the Lord charged Moses concerning Israel. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Indeed, I have taken much trouble to prepare for the house of the Lord 100,000 talents of gold and 1,000,000 talents of silver and bronze and iron beyond measure, for it is so abundant. I have prepared timber and stone also, and you may add to them moreover there are workmen with you in abundance woodsmen and stone cutters and all types of skillful men for every kind of work of gold and silver and bronze and iron there is no limit arise and begin working and the Lord be with you David also commanded all the leaders of Israel to help Solomon his son saying is not the Lord your God with you and has he not given you rest on every side For he has given the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. Now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Therefore arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord God, to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy articles of God into the house that is to be built for the name of the Lord. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word and it is our desire to keep growing in our understanding of it. So we pray that you would bless us with your illumination. In Jesus name. Amen. Well as most of you know my parents were missionaries in Ethiopia for uh, 30 years and one of the things that really impressed me about my father was the way that he strategically sought to prepare the leaders that he was teaching on how to pass the same things on to the next generation, what I call uh, building a legacy. A legacy is something that is handed down that remains from a previous generation. And he wasn't perfectly consistent. I don't think any of us are perfectly consistent. Uh, David <laughs> was clearly not consistent, and uh, the legacy he was passing on to his uh, to his children. And, you know, when I look back over my life, I realize a number of things that I uh, wish I had done differently, things that I could have uh, improved on. But in this passage, I see a number of ways that King David prepared a legacy for the next generation that uh, parallels what my parents did. And one word picture that I think beautifully captures my father's approach to many things was that my dad planted trees that he knew full well he would never sit under, but he planted them because he wanted future generations to be able to sit under their shade. He planted fruit trees. He knew he would never eat the fruit from, but he planted them because he wanted future uh, people who were on that station uh, to be able to be incredibly blessed by them. And some people wondered why my dad would do some of the things that he did. It's not benefiting you directly. But, you know, when God puts a desire for legacy into your heart, you don't think that way. You know it's not just about you. It's about impacting future generations. In fact, uh, I've been reading uh, in a book, there's a different Hughes, two different Hugheses. I just realized, Gary, but uh, it's another Hughes uh, who documents that historically families that have had the biggest impact upon society for the long term have all had at least a fifth but many times a seventh generation perspective. Too many of us don't think beyond getting our kids married you know and out the door we got a one generation perspective but they've got a fifth sometimes even a seventh generation perspective. In any case my mom and dad passed on a legacy to the Ethiopians in many many different ways. My mom taught grade school and high school teachers in a way where they would produce new teachers and you've got to realize uh, when they went to uh, the, the, these areas in Ethiopia, the illiteracy rate was 100 percent. Yeah, it, you, There wasn't any homeschooling because people didn't know how to school, they didn't even know how to read themselves. But anyway, they trained people how to train people and Christian schools began to multiply everywhere, initially through the churches and then in homes and once. People would begin to realize, hey, this person knows how to, how to read and how to do all of these different things. They would say, hey, could you train our children? And so the literacy rate went up exponentially. My mom would teach illiterate women about the Bible in a way where they could teach their daughters how to teach. In other words, unlike the methodology of a lot of missionaries who tended to have ministry centralized around them, and around their programs, my parents' whole approach was decentralized, sort of like we do our ministry here in this church that Gary was describing uh, some months ago. And through the principle of synergy, it just took off. And they did it that way because they knew it would give the most lasting legacy. So when communism took over, the communists could not stamp out all of the Bible training centers in the provinces where my parents had worked because they weren't, De- they, were, they were decentralized, they were not centralized. While other schools were almost overnight shut down because they were centralized around one location, my dad's Bible training centers, they were multiplying like rabbits. Okay, so were the church, uh, churches and the, homeschooled, uh, the home-based uh, uh, schools. And it shows the two Christian tribes that my parents ministered to for the longest period of time, the Kambatans and the Hadians, Uh, caught the vision of passing on a legacy of their own to the next generation. And there has been compounded growth ever since that time. The number of Christians alone is absolutely phenomenal. When my parents got there, I doubt very much that there was more than 1% of the population that was evangelical Christian. Now, even according to the government statistics, which I checked a couple of weeks ago, there is, in both of those tribes, more than 90% evangelical uh, Christian. And uh, both of those tribes have been passing on the same methodology as a lasting legacy. And I find it interesting that they even imitated my father in his long-term approach to dominion of the earth. For example, they did not strip a region bare of, of forests simply because they needed the wood you know, right now. Unfortunately, uh, back in those days, there were missionaries who even had that kind of a short-term perspective. I remember this one uh, missionary had come in. It had taken decades to grow up these gorgeous trees all over the plantation. You'd walk from miles away, and you would see an oasis out in the middle of nothing. Well, he came in. He thought, well, I want to be able to see way out. He chopped all the trees down. Very, very short-sighted person. He was only there, I think, for a couple of years. Eh, yeah, I don't need them. Chop them down. Because he came from Australia in the outback where there weren't any trees. And he thought, why do we need trees? But the Combatans and the Hadians followed my dad's long-term approach. And their reforestation projects were some of the first in the nation. Uh, and they became a model for the nation to, for decades to come. Their longer-term planning with farming and fishing ponds and teaching and raising leaders showed that they wanted to pass on a legacy. Now here's the point. One of the absolutely critical characteristics of people who want to pass on a legacy is a willingness to plant trees that you may never sit under or fruit trees that you may never eat the fruit from. What kind of a legacy are we passing on? And how can we be more effective in doing so? That's what I want to talk about this morning. And it's actually one of the, the goals that the elders are wanting to really emphasize in this, coming, in this coming year. Now, when we think of David's legacy, we can think of positive things, we can think of negative things. One of the negative legacies of, uh, of David we talked about a few weeks ago was that he <clears throat> passed on his woman problem, right? He He was a polygamist, and he passed that on, and his descendants continued to be polygamous all the way up to the exile. That was the first time that they began to be consistently monogamous. So there were negative legacy aspects that David passed on, but his positive legacy was so positive that every king after him was compared to David to see, is he a man like David? Is he a man that has the kind of faith and loyalty and heroism and sacrifice and the other virtues that David had? Uh, Most people remember David for his uh, fight when he was a youth against Goliath, but there's actually all kinds of things in his life that became a legacy that was passed on from generation to generation. And if, if you were to ask David, David, what is the one thing you wish you could be remembered for? I am absolutely convinced it would be, I wish I could build a temple for God. That's what he wanted to do. Now, God did not allow him to do that, But he wanted to pass on everything needed so that it could eventually be built. And this chapter gives us several clues on how to be effective in building a legacy over more than one generation. And the first essential to legacy building is you need to be able to see what other people cannot see. Okay, in uh, the last chapter of Second Samuel, and it's actually the previous chapter uh, here, is the parallel story. Uh, we have the purchasing of this threshing floor from Arauna the Jebusite. He had another name, orna here. Um, and, and so that's the chronology. It was when he was on that site that he makes these words in verse 1. Even though he looks around this threshing floor and all he can see is grain and chaff and uh, cow manure, probably, and dirt, yet he says in verse 1, this is the house of the Lord God, and this is the altar of burnt offering. Now, all most people could see was dirt. Not a single stone for the temple had been brought to this site. Not a single ounce of bronze had been laid for the bronze altar of the Lord. And yet David had a vision for what could become of this property. Verse 1 is really a statement of faith of what will be on this spot. And seeing it by faith enabled every other aspect of legacy building to take place. We will never attempt to achieve what we cannot see with our minds eye that's where we've got to start with legacy building you have to have a dream or a vision of what you would like to see in the future and hopefully it's a biblical vision a vision of faith that's based on the Bible not some humanistic vision Uh, our CPC pastor in South Carolina has this kind of a long-term vision uh, he has bought property with their own little private lake. It's the coolest thing. If you ever get a chance to go out and visit them, you'll have to have him take a, give you a tour. They built their own little lake there. And they have enough property that they have purchased for him to be able to pass on uh, land to Many generations, actually, uh, uh, of his descendants, and his vision for the leverage impact that they want to have with that property, I think is just magnificent. Our CPC pastor in Tennessee has a different long-term vision, but it too constitutes a wonderful legacy-building opportunity. So that's the first principle. You need to be able to see something that others have not yet seen. And hopefully it's God who's put that on your heart. And then you need to cast the vision for what you have seen into your children and into your children's children. Now the second, and actually point two, is the second and third things that need to be in place, are planning and preparation. Let's read uh, verses 2 through 5. They show both of those things. So David commanded to gather the aliens who were in the land of Israel, and he appointed masons to cut hewn stones to build the house of God. And David prepared iron in abundance for the nails of the doors of the gates and for the joints, and bronze in abundance beyond measure, and cedar trees in abundance. For the Sidonians and those from Tyre brought much cedar wood to David. Now David said, Solomon my son is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous and glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparation for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death. Now every one of those actions required discussions with other people, planning. Uh, various forms of preparation for the future I really uh, like what Gary Duff's family is doing on the Duff dynasty discussions maybe they'll become as famous as Duck dynasty you know but the Duff dynasty discussions they are casting a multi-generational vision of what could be accomplished with their clan they don't even have a clan yet but they're planning on a clan right they're, they're looking to the future, they're thinking through the financial issues that need to be discussed, and the potential obstacles, what kind of tools do we need, what kind of vehicles need to be in place in, a, in order to accomplish this vision. Legacies don't normally get passed on from generation to generation without starting out with concrete plans and actions long before others can even see what you're about, what you're doing. Okay? Now, of course, you need to be prepared for the Lord to make changes to those plans, But you need to start somewhere. And just as seeing what others cannot see, point number one, requires faith. Point two requires faith. To actually make plans and preparations before there is much more than dirt and chaff and manure on the floor. You might be discouraged with the the chaff and the dirt on the floor. But hey, don't be discouraged. Be driven by that vision and realize it could be a multi-generational thing that you're involved in. Now those same verses we read not only speak about planning and preparation, they obviously speak about laying up and passing on to the next generation some resources and tools that can assist them in achieving that goal. So that's point three. Building a legacy requires passing on resources and tools. Okay. From the time that my kids were little, I encouraged them to buy tools. Uh, When they wanted to spend their allowance money on candy, I said, you know, that's fine. We'll go to the candy store, but let's make a kind of a sightseeing tour through the hardware department of the the local store, and let's just look around. And of course, when our kids saw the cool, cool tools that were in the hardware store, they thought, you know, we want this more than we want the the candy, the the tooth-rotting candy. And I'm not saying that buying candy is bad, Uh, not at all. Uh, It can be a wonderful thing, but... Our discussions of what could be done with the tools cast a vision that was all of a sudden far more attractive than the candy was. Now, our poor apple tree just suffered miserably from those tools that they bought. <laughs> wow, they were making mansions on top of this apple tree, you know, with uh, the treehouse and whatnot and tearing it down. And let's make it, I think we can make it bigger if we tear out this section and build it up here but the point was it set patterns of thinking in place in their minds and they were good patterns now I will hasten to say that tools and resources can come in all shapes and sizes I tried to encourage our boys to learn multiple skills carpentry plumbing building gardening etc Kathy did the same with uh, the girls sewing cooking administration teaching skills how to use the computer how to research You never know how the extra skills might come in handy in the future. Books can be great tools if you buy them strategically. Now, I think a lot of books that people buy are an absolute waste of time. Absolute waste of time. But there are books that can be incredible tools for your future that are well worth spending the money on. They don't all have to be theological books. Uh, Larry Nolte showed me a really cool book that... Um, you know, it was designed for men, had just about any fact you could want to know about cement and metallurgy and temperatures and a thousand other things. It was just the coolest little book. That is a tool anybody that's heading in that direction I think would need to have. And so passing on an inheritance doesn't just have to involve money, okay, it can be skills and tools and connections with key people that you want your kids you say, you know, for the direction that they're going I want to give an internship that's going to connect them with all kinds of people. This helped Jonathan enormously. Um, Internships, apprenticeships, conferences, economic conference, CDs, worldview, computers, phones, software. Okay, building a legacy into the next generation and beyond requires us to pass on resources, tools, and skills. Now, the fourth principle is that building a legacy requires a synergy of skills and a network of experience that is multi-generational. I mean, the very definition of legacy implies that one person cannot do it. Okay, No one person has all the skills and ability and experience that is needed. I want you to look at verse 5. I think this explains why David was helping. Now, David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced. Now, this is going to be Solomon's temple. It's not going to be David's temple. It's going to be Solomon's temple, but David is the one who has the experience. Likewise, Solomon does not have the friendships and the connections with artisans and shipmasters and kings and all of the other networks that David has gathered together through trial and error, sometimes mistakes, over a lifetime. Okay? Uh, Solomon needs his dad's experience in networking. But the reverse is also true. David will need Solomon's unique giftings and talents. But it's only because Solomon could stand on David's shoulders that he was able to go as far as he did. Both generations need each other, and it's clear from the chapter as a whole that they both needed the input and the expertise of other people. Now this is not about buying a thousand acres and seeing if you can live off the land without any outside help. I think uh, that's a wrong, that's kind of a nostalgia some people have. I just want to live off the land. Um, legacy building appreciates the skills, the experience, the technologies that have been passed on from generation to generation over the past thousand years. I like computers, you know, uh, those kinds of things I think are things we need to value. Uh, and it doesn't stop there. It's critical that the extended family itself networks with each other to help true legacy building to happen rather than reinventing the wheel every generation. Uh, if you don't somehow instill this seven-generation perspective, you'll never produce a dynasty that will have an impact. So even the clan needs to be networked. All of the European and the American dynasties that have had a huge impact upon culture, whether for good or for bad, have had this characteristic. They built upon, they utilized the network of skills and experience that was found in the family. And I think it's really sad that so many American families are fragmented. Uh, They lose this ability to leverage generational experience and skill for legacy building, and I think some of it is an overreaction to hyper-patriarchy, where they so emphasize the nuclear family that they fragment... What God intended to be resources. If you look in the book of Revelation, you'll see even at the end of history, there's still going to be clans and tribes. Now, you can't have clans and tribes if there's not some kind of networking. If all you have is nuclear families, you do not have clans and tribes. And so I would say that if you're going to err in one direction, err in the direction of hyperpatriarchy. Now, we don't believe in hyperpatriarchy, but there's far less damage from that than there is from hyper nuclear family which itself becomes fragmented. They don't even have the loyalty within uh, their nuclear family. But it's not just an Old Testament concept. Now, let's say that you don't have an extended family. Uh, That's where the church comes in, and there can be some some networks within the church that can help you to pass on a legacy, but it's still not quite the same. Now, perhaps some of you may be able to change that over the next five generations. Don't be discouraged if you don't have it now think generationally, okay, and do what you can right now. The elders are going to be giving you a Christmas present that uh, maybe get a jump start to this. It's called Families in Covenant Succession by Jason Diffner, and we may be able to even bring him over here and do a, a conference and, you know, ask questions and try to uh, help resource. But throughout this next year, that's going to be one of the focuses that we as elders are going to do, trying to stir up discussions of how we can uh, uh, um, better use the synergy within this congregation to help each family do at least some uh, generational building. Now, I've learned some of these principles rather late in life myself, but the principles in this chapter, 1 uh, Chronicles chapter 22, really cannot be ignored if you're to succeed in achieving the burden to pass on a legacy. And they're certainly critical, if there's ever to be, if God were to prosper, making you into a culture-impacting dynasty. Now, next point. This automatically requires a degree of humility in each generation. Building a legacy requires humility. Why? Well, pride makes people want to go off and do their own thing. Solomon could have said, well, that's nice, Dad. That's your vision, but I want to do something different. Uh, David could have thought, yeah, I don't trust my kid to do this as well as I can do it. i got a whole lot more skill than he does. And anyway, I want this to be my temple. I want it to be named after me. But because both were listening to the Lord, they put their pride and they put their own agendas to death. And they sought to achieve this God-given goal that was far bigger than them both. And verses 6 through 10 illustrates this humility to put the kingdom advancing goal above their own agendas. God has put us here on earth not to build our own kingdom. He has put us here on earth to build his kingdom. And building a legacy, a family legacy, I think is part of that. Anyway, look at verses 6 through 10. Then he called for his son Solomon and charged him to build a house for the Lord God of Israel. And David said to Solomon, My son, as for me, it was in my mind to build a house to the name of the Lord my God. So he wished he could do it. But the word of the Lord came to me, saying, You have shed much blood and have made great wars. You shall not build a house for my name, because you have shed much blood on the earth in my sight. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest, and I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon." for I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. He shall build a house for my name, and he shall be my son, and I will be his father, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom over Israel forever. Now, I think you can see it does take humility to build a legacy. While David contributed to this whole project, to this huge project, he couldn't take all the credit. In fact, God kept him from being able to do what he really, really, really wanted to do. Now that can be hard on parents, if they have pride, to see their children achieving what they've never been able to achieve. That can be really hard uh, on parents if they have pride. So it takes humility to desire that to happen. In the better interest of the legacy, David put his own desires for credit aside, and he did this for the Lord. And it's so critical to understand that pride destroys this ability to build a legacy bigger than any one generation. Because pride makes us want to say, I'm going to do this on my own. I don't need my dad's help or experience or wisdom. In fact, I'm tired of him getting the credit. I'm doing this on my own. I don't want my dad's money. Because if I get his money, he's going to get some of the credit if I succeed, right? That's pride. It is pride that insists I can do it on my own. And pride can make the dad say, hey, I don't want my son to get the credit. I'm the one who's engaged in a whole lifetime, of deferred gratification. Why should he have the money? Why should he have this or that? No, to produce a clan that can become a dynasty, we must remove our pride and humbly seek for God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven, for his kingdom to come on earth, not our own. And actually, this does relate to the next point, generosity. Uh, But let me just add one more comment on humility. You may have seen the photo of Ronald Reagan uh, sitting at his desk. And on his desk, there was a plaque that says, It is amazing what can be accomplished when it does not matter who receives the credit. Now, I saw that years ago, and I loved that. I connected with that the moment that I saw that. There is an incredible force unleashed when our energizing motive for labor is to benefit future generations rather than personal aggrandizement. If we are willing to plant fruit trees that we will never eat from, God will bless us in some way with a legacy. It may not be as big as you had hoped it would be, but He will bless. Now the next point is that building a legacy requires generosity. Just think, for example, of everything that your mother invested in your lives. Will your mom really get paid back for the 100,000 plus estimated hours that the average mom invests into her kids' lives? There's no way. There's no way you could pay her for all of the, uh, the, the the time that she has spent on you. So she did not engage in that in order for herself to get some pay. No, this was a generous giving of her heart for what purpose? For a legacy And yet, how many kids squander their legacy? They do not utilize it uh, to the max that it could be utilized. So the question is, will you use that legacy wisely or will you squander it? And I believe most Christians squander the legacy that their mother has so tirelessly invested in their lives, they don't treat it like a legacy now that is getting a little bit beyond our point but I think it is important for us to realize our point here is that we moms and dads need to have a generous spirit of giving 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 if the choice uh, uh, the, the chance of legacy is to be achieved and even if our investment in one pot did not work out we keep investing in other pots right it's just the way investments work will David ever get paid back for the millions of dollars that he ends up expending on this temple? No. He did it out of love for God and because of a burning desire that God had put within his heart to achieve something bigger than him. Being driven by a legacy makes us less motivated by profit and more motivated by impact. It's one of the reasons why I give away you know, my books and articles and things instead of selling them. I was at a, a conference one time and there was a lady, she was just, I don't know why, she had a bee under her bonnet. She was rebuking me and she was saying, it's really sin that you are not selling these things. Uh, and I don't know if it was that mine were flying off the shelves like hotcakes and she couldn't sell anything. I'm not sure what the deal was, but she thought this is sin. Now, I'm not saying selling your books can't be part of building a legacy. For some people, it may be. But I would much rather have 100,000 downloads of my materials than sell 100 or a 1,000 even, okay? Because of the impact that's going to be there. It's one of the reasons why I'm engaged in... Willing to uh, train interns. I want to invest in the next generation. Will I or Josh Duff or Tobias Davis, uh, you know, will will they ever get paid back for all of the hours that they have invested in getting KaiserCommentary.com off the ground? You know, I, I doubt it. But, you know, they're doing it out of a love for building God's kingdom. They're doing it more for the impact than they are for the Uh, The prophet, the immediate prophet, Um, and I love the programming training that Josh Duff is heading up in his home. I mean, that illustrates the same kind of thing. It's passing on a legacy. It may not be in his immediate family, but he's passing on to the next generation. I know a number of you have been trying to do this in various ways. Now, in contrast, the people who have the sign on the back of their recreational vehicle that says, I'm spending my children's inheritance, will probably never have a dynasty. They will have a a legacy, but it's probably not going to be as positive as they had hoped it to be. David's generosity was something that would never come back to benefit him in any earthly, tangible way. Yes, he was laying up treasures in heaven, but he wasn't doing it for the immediate profit, personal gain. By the way, this is not tax money do not think he was giving away, you know, tax dollars to build this temple. He was a multimillionaire. He was giving away his own personal resources and he gave because he wanted a multi-generational legacy to be passed on. Now the next principle that I see is that building a legacy requires education. Not necessarily formal education, but uh, it does involve education. I've already read uh, verses 6 through 10, but if you just glance at them, I'll just summarize some of the the points that I see in these verses. In verse 6, he gives a charge of what God expects to Solomon. In verse 7, David educates his son on what his own heart's desires and passions are. I mean, he shared his vision with his son while his son is still quite young. In verse 8, David shared with his son his own inadequacies, his inabilities, his weaknesses. He wished he could have accomplished something, and he wasn't able to do it. Let me tell you something. Our kids learn not just from the successes that we have, but when we are willing to be humble and say, hey, kids, don't do what we did here, they learn from our mistakes. And that's what he was doing here. Very important part of education. In verse 9, David shared God's revelation about Solomon. What is he doing here? He's casting a vision into his son's life. In verse 10, David was teaching Solomon to be driven by a God-centered perspective and to live life under heaven, not just under the sun. You remember, Solomon picks that up, you know, in Ecclesiastes. But you can see this education coming under uh, verses 11 through 16. I'm just going to read those. Now, my son... May the Lord be with you, and may you prosper and build the house of the Lord your God as he has said to you. Only may the Lord give you wisdom and understanding and give you charge concerning Israel that you may keep the law of the Lord your God. Then you will prosper if you take care to fulfill the statutes and judgments with which the Lord charged Moses concerning Israel. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be dismayed. Indeed, I have taken much trouble to prepare for the house of the Lord. One hundred thousand talents of gold and one million talents of silver and bronze and iron beyond measure. For it is so abundant, I have prepared timber and stone also, and you may add to them. Moreover, there are workmen with you in abundance, woodsmen and stonecutters and all types of skillful men for every kind of work. Of gold and silver and bronze and iron, there is no limit. Arise and begin working, and the Lord be with you. By the way... Education doesn't have to be one directional. I have learned a lot from my kids, and I think their siblings have learned a lot from each other in terms of legacy, passing on legacy. I love the way that the the Duff family has their family discussions, and I'm sure everybody contributes in those discussions, right? And that's the whole point. So don't think of education as unidirectional. You know, I'm the big wise one and I'm giving my kids everything. No, you're going to be learning from your kids as well. Likewise, education doesn't have to be merely verbal. Now, David did give verbal uh, education, but he also modeled things to his sons and he showed his sons how to do things. Education and learning is many faceted. In our leadership training, we try to do a lot of our training through four grids. Uh, we put them through spiritual, relational, experiential, and instructional. And I think you can see all four of those grids in the way in which David trained his sons. Now the point is that legacy building requires education and constant learning. I've been learning about different kinds of trusts and different ways of passing on assets without onerous taxation. There's so much to learn on legacy building, and some of the economics conferences some of you have been going to have done exactly that. But we've got to constantly be learning better ways of doing things if we're to have a halfway decent shot at being successful in passing on a legacy. Constantly learn. For example, as the, as the government you know, changes their policies in order to rob more citizens of their wealth, You've got to learn ways of avoiding being robbed, right? Or if you've already been robbed, of recouping. You've got to constantly be learning. You've got to be on your toes if you're going to have uh, a legacy. Now, the eighth principle for legacy building is that it requires constant encouragement. In verse 10, David encourages Solomon that through God he can achieve great things. In verse 11, David blesses Solomon. And he asks the Lord to be with him. You know what? The blessing of a father upon his children is huge. When your children know that you want them to prosper, it gives them an impetus to continue the legacy building. In verses 12 through 13, David encourages Solomon to keep God's laws, to make sure this is not a humanistic legacy that that we're passing on, but a lawful legacy. Uh, Knowing how overwhelming a huge legacy can sometimes feel David tells him in verse 13, Then you will prosper, if you take care, to fulfill the statutes and judgments with which the Lord charged Moses concerning Israel. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear, nor be dismayed. In other words, David is Solomon's biggest cheerleader. He's behind Solomon. He wants him to succeed. He believes in Solomon. He tells him so. But ultimately, David believed in God who had given so many promises of covenant succession from one generation to the other. You know there's this covenant succession to the third generation of uh, visiting sins. But what is it for the believers? It's to a thousand generations of those who love God. So we really have a lot of basis in which to cheer our kids on. David avoided empty praise and humanistic cheerleading. Now his cheerleading was based upon the word of a God who cannot lie. It was encouragement in the Lord. Now, the ninth principle is that building a legacy requires sacrifice. It doesn't come easily. The second half of verse 5 shows great personal sacrifices that David made by way of his preparations. Uh, verse 14, take a look at that. It describes the sacrifice in these words: Indeed, I have taken much trouble to prepare for the house of the Lord. I have taken much trouble. Here's how the ESV translates that Hebrew phrase. With great pains, I have provided for the house of the Lord. The JPS version has. By denying myself, I have laid aside for the house of the Lord. The Hebrew is indicating there are sacrifices that need to be made. Good legacies don't just happen, they are tirelessly worked at. Now that may immediately discourage you and say, well, I'm not so sure I want to pass on a legacy. If it's that much work, if it uh, uh, takes that much pain to pass on a legacy. But let me quote at length from Paul J. Meyer's book, Unlocking Your Legacy. He said, is it hard to follow God? People have asked me. It depends on your definition of hard. Does following God come with a cost? Absolutely. Absolutely. Are there wants and desires along the way that you give up? All the time. But is it hard to follow him? The answer is a resounding no. Cost and self-sacrifice do not make something hard. Nobody feels sorry for the athlete who wins an Olympic medal, even though that person paid an incredible price through grueling effort behind the scenes, denying himself or herself certain things, probably for several years, all for one hopeful brief moment of glory. The medal, once attained, minimizes every cost and self-sacrifice. Following God is similar in many respects. There are costs and self-sacrifice to be made, but that does not mean it is hard to follow God. Hard is when you compete, but never win. Invest, but lose everything. Work, but receive nothing for your efforts. And show love, but receive hate in return. When I compare my costs and self-sacrifices with what I have already received and will receive in return, my costs and self-sacrifices are insignificant. And I say, absolutely, amen. You know, the sacrifices of ministry are worth it. The sacrifices of investing in our children are worth it. The sacrifices of trying to build a legacy are worth it. And by the way, if one of your descendants ever ends up Uh, you know, despising their birthright like Esau did. Don't focus on that person. Focus on the remaining descendants who do want to do something out of the legacy that you're passing on. Be joy givers in the life of the legacy lovers and don't allow the legacy haters to rob the legacy lovers of your focus. Thank God that you have some legacy lovers. Now, the sacrifices of building a legacy may not seem worth it, If you don't have the tenth principle in place, a future orientation. Uh, That's where most people fail on this whole thing. All 12 points really are a package deal, but this is where many people fail. Legacy building involves investing in the future, as David did in verses 14 through 16, and therefore requires a future orientation. Now, a future orientation, in a nutshell, is sacrificing some things now so that you can have a much greater return or achievement in the future. So you're not simply sacrificing now so you can have the same thing uh, that you can enjoy in the future. You're sacrificing now so that something much greater can be enjoyed in the future. Now, such future orientation will not be developed in your children without a lot of careful planning and forethought. And sometimes you do need to start without leveraging your impact like I've just described. You may have to teach your children, hey, you're you're sacrificing now so that you can have the same thing at the appropriate time and and be pleasing to the Lord. Uh, For example, simple things like teaching a toddler patience. No, you're not going to. I want you to stop tugging at my skirts. I'll be with you in five minutes. Teaching your toddlers patience now may help them to have Deferred gratification in spadefuls when they are teenagers. Okay, so we need to start young. When our boys were quite young, I set up three accounts, and it was so little money that we didn't put it in the bank account. We had little fake accounts in our house, but there was uh, an account for immediate spending. Every time they got allowance money, some went into the first thing that went went into was the tithe, right? But then there was some that went into the immediate spending. There was some uh, that was short-term savings. There was some that was long-term savings. So short-term savings would be like saving up for that special bike that they really wish uh, that they could have. And I did it this way because it would keep daily before they're thinking the sacrifices that are being made now are going to result in something cool in the future. Okay, If they keep spending all of their money on candies or coffee lattes, they'll never get their bike. Okay, When they see the short-term savings for that special bike taking a long time to pile up, suddenly they begin to be motivated, you know what, I'm going to forego my coffee latte today and I'm going to put that into the bike savings and they see that accumulating a whole lot uh, more quickly. Uh, But there are other things that you can do to produce future orientation. Talking with children about the long-term benefits of exercise, healthy eating, etc., can be a factor in that. But in one way or another, it is important that we look at every way we can think of to successfully build future orientation into our children. The 11th principle is that... Don't you love my 12-point sermons? Uh, Take forever, huh? Uh, The 11th principle is that building a legacy requires enlisting the help of... Of others. Now, it's possible that over time a clan could theoretically become self-sufficient, it wouldn't need anybody else, but David's large family required the use of experts from other families and other clans. So take a look at verses 17 through 19. David also commanded all the leaders of Israel to help Solomon his son, saying, Is not the Lord your God with you, and has he not given you rest on every side? For he has given the inhabitants of the land into my hand, and the land is subdued before the Lord and before his people. Now, set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. Therefore, arise and build the sanctuary of the Lord God to bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord and the holy articles of God into the house that is to be built for the name of the Lord. Now, if David had not paved the way for peace through warfare, Solomon would not have been able to build a temple. If Solomon had not gotten help from numerous other leaders and followers, he would not have been able to build the temple countless people shared their talents to enable solomon's temple to go up and let me just comment on how we could possibly do that and if there is enough interest in the church this is something we could even start in 2015 but one of the ministries we did for about three or four years till everybody was pretty much trained back then was heritage builders and i thought it was a pretty significant a significant ministry, once a month the church families would gather together and they would share their experiences and their knowledge with each other on that Saturday. So, for example, one uh, father who was fantastic at small engine repair uh, would take one Saturday, with, uh, and always the fathers and the sons were involved in that, and uh, all together they would tear down this engine, And then they would build it up and all the while talking about the different parts and ways in which you engage in small engine maintenance. And another father in another part of the building would be teaching fathers and their sons how to tear down a gun and put it back together again. And some of the safety features that are involved in in, in guns. And then there would be a mother who would be showing daughters the skills of of canning and uh, being able to have a year's worth of food, and then there might be another who would be teaching art. And every Saturday we had something different that uh, we we were engaged in. And um, for those who are starting off the building of a legacy, they don't have everything together, and I think that's where the body of Christ can be such an aid and an inspiration to each other on this concept. Paul said, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 6. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12 speaks of the whole body being benefited when each part is willing to contribute his or her skill sets. And I think the more our church as a whole can begin discussing legacy building ideas and catch the vision, I think the more motivated we're going to be to to help each other out on that. In fact, as I mentioned, that's one of the, the goals that the elders have for this coming year, to facilitate legacy building. By the way, some people get discouraged when you talk about covenant succession because they're not married or they don't have kids. Hey, you can help other families out. You can be involved in passing on a legacy uh, by helping others. Uh, Why do we share with each other? Because we are passionate about building God's kingdom here on earth. Right? It's not about us anyway. So all of us can be involved. Now there's one more point, to make the points on the outline an even dozen. Now it's uh, to finish off the chapter. Building a godly legacy requires dedication to God. So David says in verse 19, now set your heart and your soul to seek the Lord your God. David was totally sold out to God and he wanted Solomon to be totally sold out to God. Now what difference does that make? It makes a huge difference in legacy building and almost everybody who talks about this contrasts two families because there was a major study that was done Uh, the Max Jukes family and the Jonathan Edwards family and it's absolutely amazing to see what Jonathan Edwards was able to pass on more than 400 descendants were analyzed about 150 years after Jonathan Edwards died with the vast majority being successful Christians in missions, ministry, business, politics, and other areas of life. Now, the legacy of Max Jukes, even though Max Jukes had three times more descendants than Jonathan Edwards did, um, it was absolutely disastrous, the vast majority being losers, criminals, prostitutes, drunks, etc. So the simple fact that Max Jukes had three times more descendants than Jonathan Edwards did not mean he had a blessing. He had a cursing. It was not a blessing. It's not a blessing to raise up children for hell. Covenant succession is not just about quantity. It's about quality, being trained. At the same time, the study that was done, uh, that that he was doing that study, 42 of Jukes' descendants were in prison. Right while they were doing the the study, both grew up in the same time period with the same American free market system, but each one passed on quite a different legacy. Now, not many people look at the conditions that were in place for Edwards to pass on such a godly heritage. They cite this study, but if you understand what had to take place in Jonathan Edwards' life to be able to pass that on, you realize. He was doing every one of these 12 principles. Now you can illustrate this 12th principle from the time he was a little kid. He had, uh, as a child, he had um, resolutions. And you can see this in a number of places in his books. But I want to quote from a, a diary entry that he made one day. And as I read through this diary entry, I would encourage you to dedicate yourself anew to passing on a godly legacy and perhaps even establishing a dynasty of influence should God prosper, such as uh, Edwards had. Jonathan Edwards wrote, I claim no right to myself, no right to this understanding, this will, these affections that are in me. Neither do I have any right to this body or its members, no right to this tongue, to these hands, these feet, ears, or eyes. I have given myself clear away and not retained anything of my own. I have been to God this morning and told Him, I have given myself wholly to Him. I have given every power so that for the future I claim no right to myself in any respect. I have expressly promised Him, for by His grace I will not fail. I take Him as my whole portion and felicity. Looking upon nothing else as any part of my happiness. His law is the constant rule of my obedience. I will fight with all my might against the world, the flesh, and the devil to the end of my life. I will adhere to the faith of the gospel, however hazardous and difficult a profession and practice of it may be. I receive the blessed spirit as my teacher, sanctifier, and only comforter, and cherish all admonitions to enlighten, purify, confirm, comfort, and assist me. This I have done. I pray God, for the sake of others, to look upon this as a self-dedication and receive me as his own. Henceforth, I am not to act in any respect as my own. I shall act as my own if I ever make use of any of my powers to do anything that is not to glorify God or to fail to make the glorifying of him my whole and entire business. If I murmur in the least at afflictions, If I am in any way uncharitable, if I revenge my own case, if I do anything purely to please myself or omit anything because it is a great denial, if I trust to myself, if I take any praise for any good which Christ does by me, or if I am in any way proud, I shall act as my own and not God's. I purpose to be absolutely His. Now, with a dedication like that, I think you can see why Jonathan Edwards passed on an incredible legacy. Now, before I spell out his legacy, let me highlight the opposite in Max Jukes. Max Jukes was a selfish man who had no interest in expending himself for the kingdom. hundred years after his death, here is what A.E. Winship found out about his descendants, and I quote, out of 1,200 of his descendants, 400 wrecked themselves physically through drugs, drinking, or sexual diseases. 310 were beggars, 130 convicted criminals, 60 of them were thieves, 7 were murderers, and 20 learned to trade in prison. That's 927 out of 1,200 descendants. Now in contrast, here is a summary of some of the people who carried on Jonathan Edwards' legacy. From him came 100 college professors, 100 ministers, 100 lawyers and judges, 60 doctors, 24 authors and editors, and 14 college presidents. Now, we don't know what our success will be in achieving our our legacy. It really doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. That's totally in God's hands. What is in your hands is a willingness to at least try. And it is my prayer that this church would be filled with people who were committed to at least attempting to build a family legacy. And if it's too late for you to build a legacy with your own family, don't worry about it. At least invest in other families to help them to be able to do so. And may God stir up something great in our midst. Amen. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that if you are for us, no one can be against us. We thank You, Father, that You have given to us a personal eschatology of victory over sin, victory over our unruly passions, and we dedicate ourselves to You and say, Lord, take us. Take our unruly passions and subdue them under the feet of King Jesus. Uh, Take our flesh and crucify it and help us to put off any weight that so easily does beset us and to run the race that you have put before us. We want a legacy to be passed on from generation to generation. We want to be like Jonathan Edwards, and perhaps even beyond what you have blessed Jonathan Edwards with. We pray, Father, that you would enable us to do so. Uh, We desire to glorify you. We desire to see this world taken over. We desire this world to be filled with the knowledge of you as the waters cover the ocean beds. We desire to see strongholds taken down, every thought taken captive to King Jesus. And so, Father, if there are any strongholds in our own lives individually, we pray that You would cast them down and enable us to be holy, given over to You. Father, please, build a legacy, a family legacy, or at least, if that is not possible, enable each one here Uh, to be a part of the church networking with others to help them build a legacy. And may you be honored and glorified through what we achieve and what we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.